Thank you, thank you. It's all in the delivery. Now is the winter of our discontent. <gasps> Searching for the unusual, the obscure, the forgotten treasures hidden deep within streaming media. This is the Deep Dive Podcast. Plane in the sun! Get below! Look out! Get below! Dive the boat! Dive the boat! Take it down to 150 feet, steer course 090. Continue to dive. Hello, divers. How you feeling? <laughs> Are you alive out there? You doing okay? Well, that's good to hear. (laughs) Now, welcome to the Deep Dive Podcast, a never-ending quest to find the best and sometimes worst content hiding in your streaming media feeds. Mm -hmm. We are coming to you from our hermetically sealed chamber somewhere in the quarantine zone of New England. Yes. Uh, I'm Tom Feeney, writer for Wangshop Movie Magazine, available on Amazon.com. And with me, as always, is my COVID host. Oh. My name is Manda, or the Mandalorian, here for your entertainment, and I'm still in quarantine. You know, we really, we're, we're glad, if you're, you know, inside and hunkered down, we are so grateful that you are choosing us to spend mm-hmm. your time with, whatever time we have left. <laughs> this is not doomsday preppers, no. No, 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 the corona apocalypse uh, <laughs> is not a thing, so we just need to, you know get through this together mm-hmm. and you know if i have to use anybody as a human shield so be it so be it mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. you know our governor did actually just de- declare a state of emergency and then our president a whole nation i think is now yes yeah yes, okay. under a state of anxiety attack yeah exactly um yeah i think our last full episode too we were talking about tips and tricks and, mm-hmm. and myths and whatnot yep. and those still stand true absolutely <laughs> please wash your hands cover yes. your coughs do all that fun stuff wash but, your damn hands you know i have a fun story oh i have actually experienced real life quarantine oh really i did not Le- know that legitimately mm. so my husband is english right from the land of england that explains the accent <laughs> it does um but when we were first dating we were taking trips back and forth now this was like maybe i think 12 or 13 years ago mm-hmm. and this is when i could get a round trip flight to england for 200 bucks oh, those are oh, the, the days right well you can pretty much now <laughs> I was going to say, after every national thing that happened, so after 9-11, you know, flight prices went down, and after Corona, you can get a trip to Florida for 52 bucks. Yeah, I saw uh, hotel <laughs> hotel rooms in Vegas going for like $35. Is it worth the risk? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, so I, I was coming back on... Um, I had been there for like almost three months and you know they give you those little questionnaires to, f- to fill out at least they used to when you're coming from an, uh, yeah. a different country well one of the questions on there it says have you spent time uh, with livestock or anything like that hmm. like you know whatever so I'm like, yeah, my husband's grandmother lives on a farm. My mother-in-law keeps horses. Yeah, I was around horses and cows all day. No big deal, right? Wrong. So I come in, I go through security, everything's fine. I give them my little paperwork. And then the next thing I know, a very calm, very heavily armed police officer says, ma'am, come this way. I'm about to start panicking. I'm 20 years old. I'm start I'm crying. And I'm in this 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 little office, this very white room, very sanitized. And they just kept asking me, have you had a tetanus booster? Have you had all your booster shots? Have you had all this stuff? And I'm like, what is going on? Hmm. And 
I didn't, they didn't tell me. That's the thing. They did not tell me what was going on. Right. My mother was there to pick me up. She had to wait about four hours until oh I was released. God. Yeah. And to this day, I have no 100% way of knowing of why I was kept other than I've told people this story and they say maybe there was still a threat of like mad cow and I said I was near livestock hmm. but mad cow happened in the 80s so yeah I, and that's I, like from ingesting beef right and I was like I don't know why but I, I honestly don't know why but I was definitely in a quarantine situation they took my bag they took my phone it was not wow. fun so no. getting to the con like you know current date those folks who are self-quarantining i have the utmost respect for you because um i've been sent home from work indefinitely not because i'm sick but because my ceo is also and wants to take care of his employees um so and i have to work from home and i'm bored stiff after one day <laughs> i'm already i'm already scratching at the walls so yeah that's my little story okay yeah. all right so speaking of stories <laughs> we're in the fourth story yeah well no we're gonna we're uh we're gonna talk about uh our topic today oh yes and this is my favorite he's considered one of the greatest storytellers in the english language and also the bane of millions of high school students existence tolkien no no no, no. <laughs> we're talking about the bard of avon oh mr shakespeare or just bill to his friends <laughs> yeah do you know something my husband dated a girl who was actually like a super descendant of his family and still lived in Stratford-upon-Avon. Really? Not even joking. Wow. She wasn't related to him necessarily. It was actually his wife, but whatever. We'll get into that. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. I like that. So, Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Now, from the late 16th century to the early 17th, his plays, sonnets, and poems were part of the cultural landscape of England and have endured for nearly a half millennium. Mm -hmm. Today, his works have served as prime fodder for modern entertainment. Now, yep. I understand that you have uh, compiled hmm. a, a list of fun Shakespeare facts. I have. Oh, let's hear them. Also, you know what's fun is that when you think of the Tudors, really people think of Elizabeth I. We should be thinking about Shakespeare because that was all throughout her reign. Hmm. But, you know, anyways. Okay, so a couple of uh, <clears throat> things I found interesting. First of all, Sir Ian McKellen, who I will talk about in my oh, picks. Brilliant. He, amazing. Did you know he was like a, a, a brilliant stage actor before he became like a movie actor? Mm -hmm. He has starred in over 20 productions of Shakespeare's works. Wow. 20. That's a lot of plays. It's a lot of Shakespeare. It's a lot of Shakespeare. It's a lot of iambic pentameter. <laughs> oh, man. Iambic pentameter. I love when I first learned that word, it was just, it was horizon or it was opening in my <laughs> eyes. Uh, Kenneth Branagh. Also another oh, famous yes. lover of Shakespeare has adapted um, actually the most uh, Shakespearean works into films such as Henry V, Hamlet, uh, Much Ado About Nothing, Othello. Oh, and As You Like It. Have you seen that one? Um, that one I love. Is that the one with Denzel Washington? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I believe so. Uh, he also creepily looks like Shakespeare in the movie that I'm going to talk about. Like creepy. Huh. Creepy. Uh, anyways, um, in the south corner of Westminster Abbey, there is a what they call the Poets' Corner. Um, and in, actually, if you've ever been there, there are sections of the Abbey that is dedicated to different types and, I guess, different, I don't want to say classes, but, you know, you have philosophers over here and you have poets over here and you have mathematicians over there. Um, but in the Poets' Corner, there is a statue or a bust commemorated to um, Shakespeare, but he's also alongside like people like Geoffrey Chaucer, who like wrote the Canterbury Tales, the mm -hmm. Canterbury Tales, yeah. uh, uh, Robert Burns, who gave us all Lang Syne. And also if you're a fan of Outlander, the, you know, freedom and whiskey gang together. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, and the Bronte sisters. Oh yeah. Side note. If you've never been to the Abbey, 
and you want to go or you go in there, it's a beautiful place and I highly recommend it. I mean, Edward the First is there. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so Shakespeare's direct line actually ended with his daughters because they uh, had sons and they either died really young or their sons didn't uh, produce any children and then died after getting married. Oh. Um, so really the only lineage we have to look back is again with his wife, Anne mm -hmm. Hathaway, um, and I guess some of her descendants. I love her um, work. Who's great as Catwoman? Guess who's my... Ew, no, take that back. Oh, come no, on. No, 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 no. So the actress Anne Hathaway is not related to Shakespeare's wife Anne, but was instead named after her as a tribute, I guess. Interesting. Her parents are also actors. Huh. Now, I think I've read that there was either going to be Anne Hathaway or Elizabeth. And of course, Elizabeth would have been in reference to Elizabeth I because her parents are like big into them. Mm. Um, okay, fans generally refer to Richard III as being one of the most famous and often recreated um, works by Shakespeare, in which the very famous portrayal by Rich, of Richard by uh, Sir Laurence Olivier has been branded as one of the best portrayals ever in modern history. 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 Modern history. How does he say it? He goes, now is the winter of our discontent. Something like that. Okay. Never mind. We'll play the clip for uh, later on for uh, reference. Yeah, I, I, I actually suggest that we play that in the beginning, but I mean, who am I? I'm only you know the producer and co-host, but whatever. You wanted to make a, you wanted to make a Corona <laughs> joke. I did, and that's not funny anymore. Uh, not anymore, but yeah. Yeah, okay. But anyways, uh, those are my fun facts, um, and I've got some really cool stuff for Shakespeare, and I'm very excited about it. Excellent. Yes. yes. All right. So you want me to go first? Yeah, sure. All right. So now my first may not seem like a Shakespearean adaptation at first glance. Oh, it's one of those. Or second or third or fourth glance. Mm -hmm. But it is the 1956 science fiction classic Forbidden Planet. Forbidden Planet? Forbidden Planet. Imagine yourself as one of the crew of this faster-than-light spaceship of the future. Sharing their curiosity to know the unknown, their tension, their readiness for inconceivable adventures. When you reach the Forbidden Planet, you will meet Dr. Morbius, played by Walter Pidgeon. The doctor is sole owner of this fabulous world. Anne Francis is his alluring daughter, Alta, who has never seen a young man till she meets Commander Adams, played by talented Leslie Nielsen. You will meet a charming character in The Robot, Able to produce, on order, 10 tons of lead or a slinky evening gown. Always at your service. Oh, yeah. Did that just say planet. Leslie Nielsen? Yes. The <laughs> Leslie Nielsen before he was supposed to be funny. So, this brings up the question, what does a movie set in the 23rd century on the planet Altair 4 have to do with Shakespeare. Well, I'll tell you. Is it like a Romeo and Juliet thing? No, that's my next pick. Oh. Uh, mm -hmm. There are several elements of Forbidden Planet's plot that echo themes in Shakespeare's play The Tempest. Now, <laughs> in the play, a sorcerer named Prospero and his daughter Miranda are stranded on a remote island where intruders threaten to upset the delicate balance of what has been built there. In Forbidden Planet, it's a scientist named Morbius stranded on the planet Altair 4 with his daughter Altaria, of course, uh, and a rescue <laughs> ship is sent to find out what happened to the scientist and his team. There they find Morbius and his daughter. Uh, the rest of the team had been killed by some mysterious monster that seems to be connected to the advanced alien race that once lived there. 
<laughs> now, Morbius does not want the alien technology to leave Altair Four. Says that Earth is not ready for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've heard that before. You humans are not ready for our technology. And yet we have the Motorola Razor. Exactly. What could be more advanced than that? <laughs> but Morbius, the crazy doctor guy, he might be responsible for the monster's creation itself. It's always a Morbius. Yeah, yeah, it's always a Morbius. Now, Prospero from The Tempest and Morbius are very much alike in that they are both trying to control their environments mm. somewhat unsuccessfully. One, Prospero uses magic. Morbius uses alien technology and both get really horribly out of control. And there are other similarities, too. In both, the daughter falls in love with one of the newcomers. Uh, there's a dangerous monster in both stories. In The Tempest, it's the inhuman slave Caliban. And the so-called monster from the id that terrorizes the visitors in Forbidden Planet. Now, the stories and characters are quite different in both. So you can't call it a straight adaptation. After all, uh, Forbidden Planet did have a cool robot named Robbie. And as everyone knows, Shakespeare didn't include any robots in his plays after King Lear. <laughs> That's good. Oh, now Forbidden Planet is a remarkable achievement in motion pictures because it truly heralded in a new age of science fiction filmmaking and special effects. It took its subject matter very seriously. And it inspired and influenced Star Trek, Doctor Who, and Star Wars. It's also a serious sci-fi movie at a time when most entries in that genre were campy and cheesy it deals with some pretty deep subject matter for a 50s movie with rockets robots and aliens and of course leslie nielsen <laughs> and it's hard to watch sometimes it's hard to watch if all you've ever known from leslie nielsen is airplane, airplane. naked gun and all yep. that uh you know watching him you're like you want to laugh but you're like wait he's not trying to be funny and uh, I'm, like, I'm confused <laughs> yeah uh, so but it's it's great and forbidden planet to me it's a classic movie worthy of the bard Worthy of being considered a loose adaptation of, sure. of his work, The Tempest. Now, for the scores. Forbidden Planet gets a 7.6 out of 10 on the Internet Movie Database. And, get this, 98% on Rotten what? Tomatoes. Yeah, because it's a classic. It really is a great movie. <laughs> um, it's available to rent for the low, low price of $2.99 on YouTube, Google Play, iTunes, and Voodoo. So... <laughs> That is my first pick. Once again, I try to, you know, go well, out a little bit out yeah, there. Yeah, definitely. To so, like different, different space systems out there. Yes, yes. You know, you know who else this happens to quite frequently is mm. Jane Austen. Because a lot of books and uh, movies will come out that are Jane Austen-esque, right? Or yeah. Pride and Prejudice. Pride and Zombies. And, yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? I like, love that, actually. That The book was funny. I thought the book was funny. Yeah. I haven't actually seen the I movie. I thought it was but, pretty good. But do you know what I mean? Or sometimes there's, there's those movies that actually have the same plot or something like that, but they're not you know, Right, right. That. So they're modernizations. Or... Right. And I, can, I really can only think of them, too, uh, you know, Austen and Shakespeare as being... Yeah worthy enough for these reproductions you know well i mean um, you have stuff like mary shelley's frankenstein well, and, thing, yeah. and bram stoker's dracula things like that but they are, they always are about said monsters right yes. yeah pretty much and yeah. You, there's not a lot of times a lot of underlying you know uh tropes that you have to go right, through right um but whereas you decided to go out there i actually stuck with shakespeare oh because i enjoy theater Ooh. very very much oh, okay <laughs> Anyways, first pick. It is uh, called All is True. 
it came out a couple years ago in 2018, directed by Kenneth Branagh, who, as we recently discussed, is a huge Shakespearean. Dude. Oh, yes. Uh, he starred in it as Shakespeare. Creepily looks like him. <laughs> we have Dame Judi Dench and Sir Ian McKellen, which, by the way, Dame is actually the feminine equivalent of a knight. Yes. Yeah, pretty cool, term. huh? Yeah. I think you should call me Dame Manda from now on. But, you know, we... Instead of damn Manda? That <laughs> damn Manda? I <laughs> get it. Wow. Do we have, like, a um, sound effect we could put in there? <laughs> I'll work on that. Uh, anyways, all is true. So, let me a little backstory. In uh, June of 1613, the Globe Theater, which is, of course, most famously known as the House of Shakespeare, uh, burnt down to the ground. They actually had a at the time a, a reproduction cannon uh shoot off during a uh, a scene of henry the eighth so that caught fire to some robes or whatever and boop it all went down yeah for the insurance money yeah oh yeah uh it, it has since been built by the way it was built and unveiled i think in 1997 something like that so th they tried to stick with uh, original plans but of course it's nothing like it was before yeah but anyways if you want to go to a, a theater in england that's where you had to uh, the play, the movie, I should say, uh, opens up with the aftermath, whereby Shakespeare is, who's played by Branna, has returned home to his wife, Anne, and his children. Uh, Judy Dench is Anne Hathaway, and she is so amazing in this role. But beyond that, um, what you should know is that, true to history, uh, Shakespeare and Anne Hathaway didn't live together very much, actually, huh. after they got married. So they lived quite... Uh, solemn lives, but very comfortable. Like he would send her money, you know, and she would maintain the home, whatever. They didn't fight because they weren't really living with each other. So he comes home, the scene opens up and, uh, you know, he's kind of in this weird, awkward place. Like, I know you're my wife, but we haven't really talked in years. Mm -hmm. Um, she says something like, I will give you the best bed in the house because, you know, a guest deserves the best bed. And <laughs> I guess maybe, um, Later on towards, towards the end, and actually historically accurate, in his will, Shakespeare left the second best bed to his wife as a personal joke um, between them, which I think was kind of cute. Mm. But anyways, um, the movie then follows um, his reintegration into his family. Now, his son, Hamnet, which is also true, died at the young age of 11. Um, and as was custom to the time, they recognized primogeniture. Um, his death put in a, a wrench in his father's plans. You know, he was going to carry on his legacy, become a writer, etc., etc. It also meant that the relationship he had with his fraternal twin sister, Judith, was a little bit strained, right? Mm. Because it was kind of like one of those things, you should have died instead of my son. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. get that all the time. All <laughs> Eh, not funny, but also funny. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, it's he has to, to navigate it. Now, enter the Earl of Southampton, played by the modern Shakespeare himself, Mr. or Sir Ian McKellen. Uh. He is hilarious. I just think, I can look at Ian McKellen, and I know he's going to say something, and I'm probably going to either cry, like weep, or die laughing. Because he's just so versatile. I love him so much. Gandalf will always have a special place uh, in my heart. Yes. You know? You know how it goes? Oh, yeah. Um, but pray, what doth he say that might clench the hearts of men? I wrote that in my notes. What? Uh, well, soon you'll find out. You'll find out, uh, actually how Hamnet died. And I don't want to spoil it because Ooh. it's a really, really, really good movie. Now it came out, uh, to limited release and I didn't know what that meant until I kind of researched this. Um, they only did premieres in New York, in LA, uh, I think... Yeah, I think those are the two cities. And then they did like limited release movie theaters. So you could only find this in like 
near city hubs. I think mm. they played in Boston, um, but the majority of people had to go online and and book a ticket to see this way in advance. Wow! And then it came out in England um, to rave reviews. But it's still one of those things where it it did so well without having the typical you know audience yeah, yeah. thing from theaters. Um, but uh, where can you watch it now? Well, luckily, if you have a Star subscription, you can watch it for free. Oh, nice. You can also purchase it on Amazon, YouTube, Google Play, iTunes for twelve ninety nine. Which, uh, honestly, tr- if you don't trust me, that's okay. But trust me with this one thing: you want to buy this movie mm-hmm. so you can watch it over again. Now, scores: IMDb gave it a six point two. I don't agree with it. Oh. Don't agree with it at all. Metacritic gave it a fifty nine. Mm-hmm. Also, don't agree with it. And Rotten Tomatoes gave it a seventy two. Uh, I think it could be a little bit higher. I'm going to give it an 8.5. Uh, acting was superb. I mean, Kenneth Branagh is so just really good in general, but also I think he gets he gets uh, a certain energy from Shakespearean works yeah. that definitely comes through on the screen. Mm. And the fact that he looks so much like whatever picture you've seen of Shakespeare, whether Pretty it's much that, the one, there's the one, profile. right? The, it's, it was like that wood carving that, that came out. I mean, just think of that. And I'm telling you, he looks just, it's so creepy. So creepy. Uh, but anyways, that's my first pick. I absolutely love this film. Um, I didn't know it existed until about a week ago and it is just so good. And, and it's one of those ones where, you know, you would miss it. It is not on the radar because it's just, yeah. I don't think that they made it for, to, to be a, a box hit, you know, like a box office hit. It was more like a personal project. I, I think so. I really do because that whole limited release thing and then like you know going straight to streaming services and 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 i guess in this case straight to blu-ray but you know uh it's i don't think it's often that actors with such huge uh records behind them would um you know star in a movie that wasn't intended for large release well you'd be surprised i mean i know that actors like kenneth Branagh, yeah will they they will do a couple of like mainstream projects yeah in order to get the money Right. To be able to fund their own personal sure. projects. I guess maybe that makes sense then. And I can totally see Kenneth Branagh being behind this and roping people and saying, yeah. hey, let's just have a good time with it. Exactly. You know? But uh, yeah, I absolutely loved it. And you got to check it out. Nice. Yeah. Wow. So you, you actually did kind of go out of the box a little bit because it was not an adaptation of a Shakespeare oh, work, but yeah. a, a representation Almost of a like part a biopic. of his life. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's true. pretty cool. So there you go. Oh, I'm cool. And I didn't even know it. See that? Don't get used to it. Um, so, very good pick. I like that one Thank a lot. You. Thank very you. Nice. So, if you if you've listened to this show at all, and oh, man. if you have, bless your heart. Uh, thank you for sticking with us. Uh, you know that I like to kind of dive pretty deep, bump bump, so deep that there may be only darkness surrounding you, Ooh. and that's where you will find anglerfish. That no, the fine folks at Troma Entertainment. If you are unfamiliar with the name Troma, shame on you. Is it anything to do with Roger Corman? Yeah, you're in the same area. Yeah. So Troma is an independent movie company that's been around since 1974 and is responsible for such non-classics as The Class of Newcomb High, Monster in the Closet, <laughs> Surf Nazis Must Die, <laughs> The Toxic Avenger series, which I think three <laughs> or four of those, and even a cartoon series there was in the oh, 80s. Oh, man. Uh, and my second pick. The 1996 comedy, Tromeo and Juliet. (laughs) I am not joking about that. They actually named the character Tromeo after the studio. 
Now, this adaptation of Romeo and Juliet has one thing going for it that many trauma films simply lack. And I'm looking at you, Sergeant Kabuki Ban, NYPD. Yeah, that's another one of them. Mm. So, this one actually has a fairly decent amount of quality to it. It's super low budget, even for their <laughs> standards. The, the whole movie costs about $350,000. Uh, <laughs> that's not a lot. Given, that's not a yeah. lot. I mean, keep in mind that in the same year, 1996, Independence Day came out, and that had a budget of about $75 million. Good movie. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but even with that tiny little budget that they had, Tromeo and Juliet turned out to be a very entertaining movie. Uh, much more entertaining, in my opinion, than that overblown version with Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes that came out the same year. I really don't like that version. I don't either. I would like people to fight me on it. Now, no, 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 well, no, don't. But okay. I truly don't like it. No, me neither. And, you know, it's, <clears throat> uh, the director, Baz Luhrmann, who did that, is really hit and miss for me. Yeah, Because agreed. I loved Moulin Rouge. I didn't like Moulin Rouge. Oh, you and my wife have that in common. <laughs> Simply because I really just can't get over Nicole Kidman. She's just not my okay. cup of tea. Well, that's that's fine. But I would say I loved that soundtrack. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, a little bit back and forth. So, but I've, I think Tromeo and Juliet <laughs> is a much better movie, in my opinion. Mm. Now, of course, being a, a trauma movie, there are a few little subtle differences in the story and characters. I mean, the basic tale is there. There's these two warring families living in modern-day New York City in this one. Ooh. Tromeo, yeah, once again, that is his lead character, <laughs> is, uh, is a, a kind of a, a loner and a pervert. Uh, and Juliet is a nymphomaniac. So that's kind of different. Um, I mean, honestly, there's a lot of the requisite trauma Sex and gore and bad jokes and terrible, yeah, terrible special effects, right? Oh, man. Uh, there's a lot of this. I mean, there's head smashings, there's decapitations. Special effects in Romeo and Juliet? Yeah. Uh, head smashings, decapitations, vomiting, uh, close-ups of actual piercings. Oh, uh, there's one other thing. Um, uh, there's a one point where Juliet drinks this potion. Yeah, to go to that, sleep? No, it turns her into a disgusting cow monster with huge male genitalia. So, and no, you did not hear that incorrectly. It's exactly what I said. It's this weird like cow monster. Ew. So, yeah, this is a weird one. And, and for me, the weirdest twist of all is that this version has a happy ending, unlike Romeo and Juliet. What? Yeah, I know. They really went for it and said, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to flip the switch and it's going to be a happy ending despite all this stuff that we've been throwing at you. That's crazy stuff. So, I mean, if you're into stories about star-crossed lovers caught between two worlds mixed with blood, boobs, and bad jokes, this is for you. <laughs> if you and, and you know what? You can make the case that, okay, when, uh, when Shakespeare was in his prime when he was writing these plays, he was not writing them for the upper class. He was writing them yes. for the yeah. dregs of society, the average peasants. person, the peasants. And so in, 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 in a weird way, this movie, Tromeo and Juliet, is doing the same thing. It is appealing to that kind of uh, lowest common denominator. It's not high art by any means, but in Shakespeare's day, neither was his stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, Good his point. stuff was yeah. for the masses. Yeah. Um, oh, did I mention... This movie is narrated by late rock legend Lemmy of Motorhead. Shut up. No. 
And if that doesn't make you want to watch this, okay. I don't know what. You know what? Will. Now I will give it. A, I'll give it a watch now. Okay. And if that wasn't enough, if if having Lemmy in this movie narrating <laughs> it was not enough, wait, can you even understand it? You need subtitles. Uh, more or less. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, are you a fan of Guardians of the Galaxy volumes one and two? Yeah. The writer and director of those and many other films, James Gunn, mm. wrote Tromeo and Julia. Oh, he's it that was, old? It was his first film as a screenwriter. My word. That's right. James Gunn wrote Tromeo and Juliet. So there you go. It, it's it's crazy. Ugh. And it's it's so over the top, gross, but funny. I just, and you can ugh. see where he, he kind of got that sort of style from. So <clears throat> yeah. that's, a, yeah. So it, believe me. It, it sounds horrifying, and in, yes. in some ways it is because it's gross. The cow monster? I mean... Yeah, it, it's gross. It's gross. It's got a lot of bad jokes, funny bad jokes, a lot of blood, gore, nudity, the whole thing, all the trauma tropes that that company is known for. Uh, but, you know, I'm saying get thee to a monitor and check it out. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> nice. So here's the scores. Tromeo and Juliet gets a 6.1 out of 10. On the Internet Movie Database and 62% on Rotten Tomatoes. Unexpected. Unexpected, but, you know. So, wherefore art this movie? (laughs) If you're an Amazon Prime Video subscriber, you can watch it there or on most other streaming services for $2.99. And if you want it on the cheap, the PlayStation Store has it for the low, low price of 99 Oh, wow. I love the PlayStation Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and if you don't have a console, you can actually still use a store on your mobile device. Yeah, which is kind of awesome. Yeah. It's good that they didn't, like, exclude people that didn't (laughs) want (laughs) to. Yeah, exactly. All you Microsoft fans Give us your money. Give us your money. Uh, Do you have any honorable mentions? (sighs) I have uh, another pick, actually. Oh. Yeah, I've got one more pick, and... It's really funny though because the I think the most um, what, what 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 word would you say the most like crazy thing that happened to Romeo and Juliet really was the fact that Mercutio got run through with a sword. Yes, and yet this version has blood and guts and gore, and oh. it's just but no, not mine, yours. Oh, mine. Oh yeah, oh, God, mine. There's no. a de- it's a decapitation. Please. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my second pick. Um, this one is genuinely Shakespeare. Ah. So I chose Julius Caesar. Ah. Now, Shakespeare, of course, writes in three genres mainly, right? Uh, comedy, tragedy, and history. History, uh, one of his most notable plays, of course, was Julius Caesar, but he also did Antony and Cleopatra based on, on real events. Henry VIII, mm-hmm. Henry V, Richard III, yeah. etc. All the sequels. <laughs> yeah. Um, but where I think the true brilliance of, of Shakespeare was his ability to dramatize events for a wider audience mm-hmm. that weren't necessarily um, uh, in the know, as it were, right? right. Like, mm-hmm. like the peasantry, you know, the not just the gentry. So the average commoner could could come in and could recognize themes and say, you know what? Th- wow, that happens in my life too. Um, so a little bit of backstory. I'm sure everyone knows the name Julius Caesar. At two, Amanda. Oh, oh yes. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a Roman general uh, and one of the most consequential persons in the fall of the Roman Republic, uh, and then, therefore, the formation of the Roman Empire. After becoming the most powerful politician, he introduced many reforms, such as offering citizenship to folks who were on the outskirts of the lands. Because, of course, Romans would go and conquer and say, you're part of Rome now. Uh But, of course, they couldn't speak the language. They didn't look like them. So he decided, you know what, we're going to get everyone involved. And once you become a citizen, I will then, you know, have to judge you and, and make you do things for me. 
Um, he also tried to implement the Julian calendar, which thank God we do not go by that. Thank you, Mr. Gregory. Well, you know what I mean. Uh, the Gregorian calendar. Um, eventually, he was proclaimed to be the dictator perpetuo or dictator for life, which was actually, in fact, the exact same thing he was, quote unquote, fighting against, which was a single solitary monarch uh. type thing. Uh, this, of course, angered many, many of the lower politicians. And you know what? They decided we're, no dude is going to have all that power. We don't care how cool you look in that robe. Mm. Um, so, it's a good look. Yeah. They waited until he got to the Senate and then they just took their turns and, uh, you know, shanked him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah basically. Um, and that famous uh, saying, et tu brute, um, which in Latin I think is described as and you, Brutus, or and you, my son, because, um, of yeah. course, Caesar was rumored to be Brutus's uh, father, his biological father. But anyways, um, I guess Brutus or Marcus Brutus um, was always on the fence of between like, do I follow him? Do I like him? You know, I don't want this kind of government. And and there was this famous idea, or at least propaganda, I guess, that he was all about Rome. I love Rome. I don't care. I'll do anything for Rome and the Roman, uh, you know, way of life. So when he ki helped kill uh, Caesar, he was seen as basically a hero. Mm. Um, so anyways... This play, despite being named after Julius Caesar, the reality is um, Shakespeare identifies early on that the difficulties with Brutus were that he was having this internal struggle, right? Am I loyal to Caesar? Mm -hmm. Can I see his vision? Or do I want things to go kind of back to the way they were, but also we just don't want an emperor, right? Because we don't like that. We don't like this whole taxation thing. Um, Caesar was in some ways a mentor for Brutus and during what might seem what might be seen as a tyrannical rule, which of course everyone knows, you know, when uh what's his face? Tall guy with a hat, president. Do 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 bim bim Abraham Lincoln. There you go. When he got when he got shot. Wow. Six. The vampire hunter, Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> yeah. When he was shot, the guy who who uh who you know, often was like six seven or ten, you know, whatever yeah. he said. Yeah. John Wilkes Booth. That's the dude. And it basically, that was the same thing that was uttered at Caesar's um, mm. uh, killing. That was last protestation when they were like, you know, no more, no more tyrannical emperors, but whatever. In any case, um, Brutus is forced to support him or to join with those who are conspiring against him in the effort to prevent a one man domination system i.e an empire um in the end and of course it's not a spoiler to say that caesar's mm. assassinated uh, <laughs> um but that's not the end of the play and with it being named julius caesar you would think all right cool the main guy's dead no big deal right mm. actually it goes on and follows brutus because really the whole this whole play is just about brutus and at least in my opinion um it, it, he leads opposition forces against mark antony and octavius um and but despite you know fighting valiantly uh he he cannot win the upcoming battle he knows this um and he decides to take his own life now we've discussed i think maybe in like a history episode the um idea of of honor being intrinsically entwined with uh suicidality um brutus takes his own life because he does not want it to be taken by someone else mm. basically um and so basically the 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 back and forth uh, and and his key decisions that he makes ironically leads to what he was fighting against the whole time which is another emperor enter octavius yeah. So, uh, yeah. Now, um, that's the kind of the, the scope of the play. The one that I'm going to reference specifically, and I think is probably one of my favorite versions I've ever seen, was the um, 1969 version um, that was produced by the BBC. So, I had never seen it before uh, until I was in high school. Um, 
And and back then, my teacher had to pay for it to be a, a VHS sent to her uh, from England, uh, uh, uh. and then we would put it on one of those giant TVs, and no one could actually see anything, so we had to get straight. And but in any case, um, you can now find it on uh, BBC iPlayer, which used to not be available in the states. Yeah, they but, changed that, but it is now oh, in wow. some in some regard, right? So um, you use iPlayer for current news or blah blah blah. Sometimes they will open it up, um, uh, or you could just use a VPN. Mm. I mean, you know, whatever. <laughs> we're, we're not authorizing we're not at any kind all. of um, <laughs> but the bbc also did have this thing where they would um have a um, a show of the month or or a production of the month and this was one of the ones that was highly requested because it was just so mm. well done and yeah. it is one of the most famous productions that people think of it actually stars robert stevens um uh, as mark anthony and maurice denham as julius caesar maurice denham and robert stevens are he or were huge uh actors on the stage um they basically that's where uh, ian mckellen got his is like you know inspiration from that kind of thing wow yeah yeah so it, it it it's really wonderful now you can find a full version of this on youtube um someone you know they uploaded it and yeah. it is about uh, an hour and 15 minutes so it's 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 a little bit lengthy mm -hmm. um but some parts are cut out i think just for copyright reasons yeah you can check it out it's really great i think that the actors do such a great job of maintaining uh well their characters but also just staying so true to shakespeare and trying to make it applicable for at least that wow. modern time. yeah yeah um so and now the there's another reason why i chose to to showcase this particular production yes and that is the year after this came out charlton heston starred in julius caesar <laughs> which was a loosely adapt uh, another loose <laughs> adaptation of this um but I didn't want to do that because I feel like Charlton Heston had really one style of acting. Yeah. He really did. Right. Yeah. And this is before the NRA and <laughs> um, <laughs> he, he didn't, he didn't bring to, to Marcus Brutus what um, Robert Burns or I'm sorry, um, another guy did, but he also, I think if he had played Caesar, it would have just been a catastrophe. So I didn't want to showcase that and, and not in like a mean way, but it just, for me, it overshadowed yeah. this stage yeah. production. So I, I just didn't want to do it. But anyways, um, there are no scores, right? Because it's right. hard for, right. for right. Um, IMDb and places like that to, to rate these. But if you go on to the BBC's page and you search through this, this film and excuse me, this production and you see it, there will be tons and tons and tons of reviews some by like really famous people oh. um richard armitage for example who's another lover of um film and actually yeah. stage productions and whatnot but um yeah so anyways it's it's my favorite uh play i would say and uh yeah that's my second pick nice you I know think, it's go ahead i was gonna say i think i overwhelmed you i i may have shakespeared you get Ooh, it <laughs> spear yeah, I actually yeah. feel like it now. Uh, <laughs> but it's interesting you mentioned Charlton Heston in that role because I immediately thought of John Wayne yeah. in The Conqueror where he played Genghis Khan. <laughs> How racist is, was that? <laughs> oh my God, one of the absolute worst ideas ever. Who's, who said it was going to be okay to take a white cowboy, put some black hair on him and call him Asian? Like, awful, uh, just oh, awful. Oh man. The worst. And you know what? Uh, in, in, in a sense of like, Co uh, cosmic karma you know the, where they were shooting that movie it was a place where they tested uh, atomic bombs oh, and nice. like a lot of the cast like got, eventually got cancer wow including john wayne himself yeah well, so yeah. don't know if there's a direct connection but some people say that but that's okay <laughs> that's okay so also charlton um, hudson played moses if you remember too oh my god yeah, two different areas of time but both like nah. yeah i know it's just that style yeah he so, really was yeah yeah 
but this is I, a good episode. It is good. Yes, I got a couple I of honorable it. mentions. Oh, do you? Yes, I do. Go ahead. I do. I do. Uh, a few actually. Uh, my first is a really obscure. Once again, a really obscure uh, adaptation, and it's animated. Oh. Uh, and it's basically it's kind of a, a a futuristic kind of a thing, and it's called Romeo and Juliet, like the number. Uh. Uh, and it's a very charming animated version of Romeo and Juliet from 1979. Huh. Uh, it was made by uh, a, a famous uh, Canadian animation studio, Nelvana. And For kids. Yeah. Oh right. Yeah. Okay. And it's it's really it's very charming and it's really cool. The animation is fun. And you can actually watch it for free on YouTube. Oh, nice. Uh, the, my next honorable mention is the 1953 musical adaptation of Taming of the Shrew, Kiss Me Kate, <laughs> which is based on the Broadway musical. Oh, okay. Really fun. Great yeah. musical, great songs. Uh, you can get that for two ninety nine on most streaming platforms, as well as... Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet Ooh. from 1996. I was just going to say, you cannot go wrong with any Kenneth Branagh uh, adaptation. Especially, well, I mean, for this one is very unique because it has the distinction of being the first completely unabridged film adaptation of any Shakespeare play. Really? With a runtime of over four hours. <laughs> That's right. So tuck in. Yeah. So <laughs> you may want to pause it halfway if you need to use the chamber pot. <laughs> but Yeah. So if yeah. you're looking for like full on Shakespeare, you if you can't get enough of the Bard, and that's the way to go, <laughs> right there. All the right. Bard, the Bard. Good times. So, yeah, yeah. I so, really enjoyed this episode. I really yeah, did. this was good. All right, so we're gonna recap our picks. Yes, my pick, my first pick was uh, All Is True, 2018 film starring Mr. Kenneth Branagh, uh, and then my second was the 1969 production of Julius Caesar. Excellent. Um, from the BBC. Very nice. So for me, uh, the loose adaptation of The Tempest called Forbidden Planet, the classic sci-fi movie. can't get over that. I know, <laughs> but it's, yeah. And uh, the low, low, low budget low. adaptation, Tromeo and Juliet. <laughs> so that does it for our picks. Now, before we wrap this episode up, uh, this month, when we're recording this, from March 13th to April 15th is Deaf History Month. Mm. which was created to bring awareness to those hearing impaired or deaf persons who have made significant contributions to society. I'm bringing this up because podcasts are a form of media that can leave people with hearing difficulties feeling left out of the loop. Yeah. That's why we here at the Deep Dive Podcast are using a service called Audioburst. Audioburst provides full transcripts of podcasts for free that can be accessed by anyone. And now that includes our little show. That's awesome. Yeah, we're going to have a link uh, so on our cool. page to our audio burst. Mm -hmm. uh, and so um, all of our, you know, our episodes are now up there. So you can, uh, you can listen to it there or you can, you can read, read a full transcript of the show, which I think is great. And that's why, you know, uh, I wanted to mention that because I think it's a really cool thing that. And it's a little bit better done than the YouTube captions. I just got to say. Oh, yeah. That's like <laughs> Google Translate. But I think Translate. it's so cool. I think, and also if it wasn't clear why we chose Shakespeare, we're coming up to the Ides of March. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, if you They're all know. They're upon us. They are upon us. Beware of the Ides of March. <laughs> Isn't that funny that coronavirus is happening during the Ides of March? I mean, I'm just saying. I'm not superstitious. Anyways, uh, March 15th is when Caesar was killed. That's why it's called the Ides of March. There you go. Yeah. Oh. Anyways, but that's really cool. You can find all those links, though, and like our merch store and our links to our Instagram and our email and our Facebook and our Twitter, all that glorious stuff, thedeepdivepodcast.com. Absolutely. And thank you to everybody listening. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we, we uh, appreciate you take the time to listen to us. We know that, 
you know, you've got a lot of options out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that especially these days, you may be binging, binge watching more, <laughs> staying in and, yeah. and uh, doing a lot more of that. So hopefully some of our picks will be able to get you through these times mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, give you something to uh, look forward to and to watch while we all just try to figure out what's happening now. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And we got some feedback on our uh, iTunes page. We got some ratings, which is so yeah. helpful. So yeah, it's great. If you feel like rating us on iTunes, please, please go ahead. Um, it's how we get this show to more people. Yeah. And honestly, we're just two friends hanging out. And what's better than hanging out with a bunch more of your friends? Exactly. So subscribe, subscribe. Uh, tell people about it. If you think anybody that you know might be interested or might enjoy just listening to the two of us prattle on uh, <laughs> about Shakespeare and other things, uh, we would appreciate it. Absolutely. So, all right. You ready to wrap this up? I'm ready. All right. For The Amazing Mandalorian and all of us here in Studio D, I'm Tom Feeney. Stay healthy. Fare thee well. You can find links to our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram feeds on our website, thedeepdivepodcast.com. If you like us, please subscribe. All clips are intended for educational use only and not to infringe on existing copyrights. Our theme music was produced by Ryan Blaney and EchoCraft. Thanks for listening. The Deep Dive Podcast is a production of Automaton Media. To be or not to be. That is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of troubles.